Hello, my name is Edgar King and I am the lead pastor of Trinity Vineyard Church in Akuru. I am so grateful that you are um, tuning into our podcast today. Head over to our Facebook page and see some of the information that you may need if you're in Akuru and you'd like to join us. Nonetheless, we will still be on live for those who are unable to join us in person. Thank you very much. I hope this uh, installation of talks today will be a blessing to you. Uh, so if you're just uh, coming in now or you're joining the stream now, my name is Edgar King. I'm the lead pastor and we are honored that you, we are sharing this Sunday with you. And so please uh, just continuously let us know what God is doing with you even throughout this, the celebration. We like to celebrate the, uh, the things God is doing in each of us and celebrating each other. So the things we do form us. This is something I've said a lot this year. The things we do form us. The things we do do something to us in return. This is why our practices are so important. As followers of Jesus, there, there are certain practices that are so key for our spiritual formation. And we, we, we call them practices that eventually they become part of our habits because the things we do form us. The things we do do something to us. It's never a question of whether you're being formed. It's a question of what you're being formed into. Formation is a human thing. You are being formed into something. You're being formed into someone. The question is only who or what are you being formed into. And, and, and the, uh, the things you do habitually, the things you do over and over and over again are part of your formation. And that's why some of these practices for us as believers are so key because uh, they are part of our spiritual formation. If you want to intentionally be formed into who Jesus is making you, there are, there are things that we have to habitually do. One of those is reading of Scripture. Now, throughout church history, um, uh, reading of Scripture has always been regarded as central to our journey of faith, has always been central to our journey of faith. It's only in... Uh, because, you know, Scripture uh, gives us insight into God's heart and mind. Often people ask, what is God saying? Well, one of the ways God speaks is through uh, Scripture. Scripture gives us insight into God's heart and mind. We get to see things, we get to see the stories and the worldview that shaped Jesus, that shaped the disciples, that shaped the early church. We get to read the teachings of Jesus himself. We get to enter this story that we're being invited to. And getting, you know, and, and also that it's just, there's power in, in, in reading of God's word. There is power in scripture. So the word of God has power to correct, to change, to instruct, to convict, and also to train us for righteousness. We cannot overstate the importance of uh, uh, a, a, a habit of reading scripture as part of our, of our faith journey. However, we live at a time where so many Christians actually don't. We, most believers depend on Sunday morning when they actually show up to be the only time they have encounters with scripture. And that's what that leads into, what that leads is, is uh, it leads us to uh, having a bunch of malformed believers. 
at the very best we have a bunch of malformed believers because this 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 cannot be something we just encounter on Sunday morning this has to be part of what we do as a practice so part of uh, our hope as a community is to um, is to train each other, to, to train together, uh, uh, to train ourselves in reading a, a scripture and encountering scripture and encountering God through his word. So that's why we have uh, Sundays where we just do Lecture Divina, like we did last Sunday, where we just we let scripture speak to us. We let the Holy Spirit reveal uh, God's word to us. And so this, this Sunday we'll start a short series through the book of James. We, we, we call this Into the Story. We just want to dive into the story of Scripture. And so we'll, we'll look at the book of James, and I encourage you to read it at home beforehand. So today I'll start us off with uh, James 1 through, 9, uh, through 11, and then you know I'll, I'll give you what we'll do next week. Read at home with your family, as an individual, with a group of friends, However you do it, just invite the Holy Spirit to actually reveal God's truth to you. And however you do it, just make it a practice. Spare some time to just go through God's Word with the Holy Spirit. So James uh, is, writ- is a letter written by Jesus' little brother. And um, you guessed, uh, you know, uh, he was the leader, one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Why this is important, uh, there were, uh, at this point, the church in Jerusalem was almost like the headquarters. It was the central, it was central for all believers. In fact, big disputes uh, across the church, even in the Gentile church, were, were discussed in Jerusalem. So James was one of the leaders alongside Peter, so he was very key. So, so the letter he writes to all believers is, is a pastoral letter. It's, it's a letter from, from the leader of churches, and so it's very, very important. It was regarded with a lot of weight throughout the church. Now, here's an interesting thing to think about. How much does it take to convince your siblings? I don't know if you have any siblings. How much does it take to convince your siblings that you are worth something? So I, I, I was the last of four boys for a long time. And you know, you're always Eddie the last born, you're always the guy who needed help to do his laundry until he was very old. You, you know, I know I have family issues to work through, that's, I'm in counseling, but it's so hard to convince your family that you're worth something. Now, imagine this, James, James doesn't just believe Jesus is worth something, James now considers Jesus his Messiah and God. That should tell us just how much, how powerful the death and resurrection of Jesus was. That even, because we don't see much of James through the stories of, of Jesus when he was alive. He shows up after the death and resurrection. It should tell us just how powerful the death and resurrection of Jesus was. That even his own little brother goes, this is not just the, uh, uh, a great person, he is the real deal. That's how powerful it is. So we'll get into the, story, we'll get into the letter he wrote and, uh, yeah, journey through it for a few weeks. Why don't we pray? Spirit of God, breathe on us. The same breath that brought Scripture into being, breathe on us, bringing new life. 
come and speak to us in ways that only you can. Come setting us free, even as we hear your word. Instruct us, convict us. Affirm us. In Jesus' name. So um, the slides are, are going to be on the screen. Why don't we all read together uh, the first section and then uh, we'll get into it. There. Oh, there we go. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without fault, finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is a double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their position, but the rich should take pride, pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and, and withers that plant. It blossom, its blossom falls and its beauty destroyed. In, in the same way, the rich will fade away even when they go about their businesses. So that's James 1, 2 to 11. So just going through, through it in sections. So consider pure joy. This is uh, 2 through to 4. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So in a world full of messages that the whole point of living is to be happy, you know, life is about the pursuit of happiness. Some nations are founded actually on this whole idea. And, and every advert uh, on, on TV is all about, hey, if you only have this, you can be a little happier. So in a world that, you know, if you can't make yourself happy, reduce pain at all costs. In a world with, uh, that is full of those messages, James is saying something very different. Because if you've lived long enough, you know that hurt and pain and trials and temptation is part of our life. It's part of, it's part of the human experience. And then even more so if, you, if you're following Jesus. You know, uh, so to believers, you and me, James is saying, we need to find out what God is doing in the midst of all this. Like, hurt will come, pain will come, trials will come, temptation will come. But for us believers, the question should be, what is God doing in all this? Now, to be clear, I think we're in a generation, as, as people... Um, ask questions that they need to ask. One of the weird ones is often, why would God allow pain? And here's the thing, God is not the source of pain. God is, God is not the source of, of, the hard, of the hardness of life. That's, that's a whole story we'll talk about someday. James is actually keen later on, we'll, we'll encounter it next week, to say, hey, when you're tempted, don't dare think this is God. Because God is not tempted by evil. 
So it's easy to just, uh, sometimes we're living in a world where constantly there are messages of, oh, what is God doing to me? What is the universe doing to me? You know, if God is there, why would he let this happen? God is not the source of our pain. In moments of difficulty, temptation, uh, uh, the question should be really for us, believers, is what is God doing? What is God forming us into? And so James argues that we actually get to learn endurance, which we are going to need anyway, just because we're human beings. We are going to need endurance. But even more so, if you're following Jesus, you're going to need endurance. Now, the truth is, we kind of all know that character is formed in the crucible of life, whether it's the crashing, right? Whether it's the threshing. You've all been around people who've not experienced trouble, and they, they can be brats, right? And you just go, hmm, you know? So, so the truth is, we all kind of know that character is formed in the crucible of life. So what's new? Like, every culture knows that. So what, what, is, what is new in what James is saying? James is inviting believers to not just have perseverance, but actually be aware that sometimes God does his finest work in the times we're in pain, in the times we're in suffering, in the times of temptation. Sometimes God is doing some of his finest works in us. It, some, uh, it is in these ways that God, who, does, who is not the source of our pain, uses that pain to produce in us the fruit we so long to see. Reminiscent of what Paul later teaches, and Paul went through a lot of trouble uh, for following Jesus. He, he later says, you know, God works everything out for good. And I think these are some of the things that, that, that brought him to that realization. That even the worst of our experiences, God works them out for good to produce uh, the character Jesus is forming in us. And... Um, at the time James was writing this, the church was under so much persecution. Uh, some were being murdered, many were being imprisoned. And so, so and, and, and in some ways, in, some, in most places of the world, the church isn't going through the same thing. But we're going through something very similar. We're at a time where the church is being co-opted by political parties, by businesses. It's, we, we're at a time where it's easy to be Christian, but not live like one. And to live like one is so costly that, that so many churches, so many believers just prefer not to. So the message is still the same. It's still the same for us. That, hey, by the way, there will be trouble in life. There will be extra trouble if you're following Jesus. But guess what? It is in those moments that God is doing his finest jobs in us. It is in those moments that God is forming character. It is in those moments that God is forming, uh, uh, is producing the fruit that we so long to see. If we want to be formed into something that looks like who Jesus is calling us to be, we might need to find joy even in those times. And I'm glad that James doesn't use happiness because that's such a fleeting thing. But he's saying that there, there is a way to find joy even in very difficult moments. If we, if we keep our eyes on the Father and trust that he's doing something very beautiful in us. 
So the next section that we'll go through today, James 5 to 8. James 1, 5 to 8. And if anyone longs to be wise, ask God for wisdom and he will give it. He won't, see, he won't see your lack of wisdom as an opportunity to scold you over your failures, but he will overwhelm your failures with his generous grace. Just make sure you ask, sorry, you ask empowered by confident faith without doubting that you will receive. For the ambivalent person believes one minute and then doubts the next. Being undecided makes you become like rough seas, driven and tossed by the wind. You're up one minute, tossed down the next. When you're half-hearted and wavering, it leaves you unstable. Can you really expect to receive anything from the Lord when you're in that condition? It's like, hey, it's not that God doesn't want to give us wisdom. He actually wants to. The problem is we, we sometimes aren't so sure that God wants to give us that wisdom. We either so, we're still stuck on our failures. We're still stuck on the things we did wrong when we didn't have wisdom. Or we just, it's either we doubt, our, we doubt that God would love us that much to, to give us that wisdom. Or when he does, it looks so stupid. It looks so foolish that you're going, I don't think this is it. And so we back out. And so James is saying, hey, the problem isn't on God's end. He wants to give this wisdom. The challenge sometimes is we are double-minded. We go, yeah, I prayed and then it, uh, I felt God say this, but I'm, I'm not sure that that would be God. And, and so that's why I've often said sometimes it's not that we don't hear, uh, that God is not speaking. Sometimes it's that we hear God speak, but we don't like what he's saying. We're double-minded. We don't like what he's saying because we've already, we're living in a culture that, that makes us think wisdom looks one way. We have our own personal struggles and we want wisdom to look another way. So we get double-minded. One minute we're going, yes, I think, God, you could lead me through this. And he says, yeah, uh, why don't you do this? Or, or answers in one way. And you're going, uh, yeah, let's pray again. You know? So, uh, the, yeah, there's a, there's a classic example, which actually will be an example of, 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 of God's grace. Uh, uh, Gideon, a uh, character in the Bible, you know, hears God speak and he's like, oh, no, 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 me? Me of all people, you couldn't call me. Then he asks God, okay, I, I, this shouldn't happen. I know I'm just a, 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 a human being, but I'm just going to ask you, show me that it's you. Show me that it's you who's asking me to do this. And he asked, well, could this happen in the morning? Can't remember which one came first. Was it dew on everything? But So he asked, oh, just make this happen in the morning. And in the morning it happens. And he goes, oh, no, no, that could not be. This could have just happened because it's morning. God, if it's you, make this happen in the reverse. And God does that. Like, that's often how we are. It gives me joy that God is so gracious and, you know, hey, this is not in the Bible, but I'm, I think sometimes it just goes, oh, okay, let's do it again. <laughs> but that's not in Scripture, okay? So don't, don't, go, don't go looking. It's not in Gideon, maybe Gideonite. Anyway, so, oh, that's actually a thing. <laughs> Sorry, a uh, bit of monologue going on there. So, you know, uh, where was I? I'm lost. Anyway, <laughs> so we, we, we have to get to this place where... 
We have to get to this place where we trust God enough to say, if you said it, I believe it. If you said it, I believe it. And I know that some of us are, are, are scarred by the, by the last time we, we felt we heard God and then things blew up in our face. Guess what? That's the journey of our formation. We get to trust and obey. We get to say, hey, if this is you, Lord, I will go. However it looks like. No matter who turns against me. If this is you, I will go no matter the cost. And it's okay. Guess what? We don't always hear God so well. There's a lot of things happening around us. There's my culture. There's my upbringing. There's everything that I am thinking in that moment. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit speaks, I'm not so sure. And, 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 and so sometimes you, you actually go and say it and, and it's just ridiculous. Or it sounds ridiculous. Go ahead anyway. So often when we're praying for people uh, in the room or during prayer time, we would, say, we would say to them something like, hey, I feel this is from the Lord, but I may be wrong. We're giving ourselves room because we're not so good. We're, be, we're still learning. But the one thing we will not be part of is, is, is the doubt and the disobedience. We'll say, hey, Lord, if this is you, my answer is yes. Um, there's a story uh, uh, which I'll probably repeat again in a few weeks. So pay attention and then when you get to there, you, you don't have to. You can take out your Facebook at that point. So there's a story of, 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 a, of a group of pastors that were in a prayer meeting. And during the worship, there's one Greek guy who, who hears, who feels that the Holy Spirit is giving him a word for one of the pastor's wives. But it was such a terrible word. It was the Greek equivalent for... It was the Greek equivalent for piece of shit. Okay? So he goes, no, that cannot be God. And then when he's convinced it is God, he goes, God, we are in the middle of worship. Come on. These are not the kind of things you bring up. And so he fights it, he fights it, and, and, and one of the pastors, I think the host pastor, goes to him and says... I feel like you have a word for that lady. And I was like, oh no. Because now it's, it's, it's either obey or disobey, right? It doesn't look like such wisdom, does it? That's where you go, ah, no, I don't, I don't, maybe I'm just needing to go to the bathroom because I had coffee. Anyway, so he gathers up the courage anyway and goes and, and says, I think the Holy Spirit is saying, that you're not a piece of shit. And this lady just begins to weep. So it turns out she was in her second marriage. And in her previous marriage, she was married to a Greek man who constantly called her that. In front of her friends, at home, everywhere. That's how... Uh, and, and it was in Greek, right? So that's how... Uh, 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 he would refer to her. Imagine if, if he had disobeyed. Because it doesn't look like such a wise thing to do, does it? I mean, we'd rather get it wrong. When we're praying for the sick, when we're giving words of knowledge, when we're giving words of prophecy, we'd rather get it wrong than people leaving without knowing that God cares so much about them. 
This lady was so made aware by the Holy Spirit that God knows her situation and he's responding to her wounds. Anyway, we're in a world full of so much information. We're drowning information. We know what's happening in Russia while we're sitting in our couches in the cool. We know what's happening in, 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 the, in the Senate of the U.S. while we're sitting in our houses in the cool. There's information everywhere. And now, to complicate things, there's disinformation. There are people sitting in, in front of their computers getting paid to put out disinformation. It's not even a joke. It's not even a, a mistake. It's their job to put out disinformation. So here's the thing. Knowing things doesn't make us wise. Just because we know a lot. We know a lot about biology. We know a lot about uh, chemistry. We, we just know a lot. Uh, politics. Every, knowing things doesn't necessarily make you wise. Now, there's so many ways of gaining wisdom. Some of them do start with knowledge. Some of them do start with knowledge. Uh, in the Proverbs of Solomon... Uh, he categorizes people into four, the wise and the not wise, and the not wise are in three. One of them is the simple. So there are some people who are not wise because they're simple. What it means is they just don't have the experience. It's like a child playing with an iron box. They're about to get very wise about such things, right? But before that, they were unwise because they didn't have experience. So, so, so knowledge is one pathway to, 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 to wisdom, but not always. Some wisdom comes, is gained by experience, some by age, and some by some sort of learning. You know, you would rather talk, it's, it's been funny uh, that uh, since COVID started, everyone has become an, uh, 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 an immune expert and a virus expert. We all know how viruses work. Right? <laughs> and if you, if you went to a hospital um, and you needed surgery, I wonder if you'd like the trained surgeon or the guy who's been watching Grey's Anatomy or just knows things about surgery. You can know things about a subject that does not make you an expert, that does not make you wise in the field. So yes, some wisdom comes with, with, uh, starts with knowledge. But James, however, is careful to say, hey, there's wisdom that only God can give. It starts with accepting that God is better at life than us. It starts with accepting that God is better at marriage than us. It starts with accepting that God is better at parenting, that God is a better pastor than me, that God is a, is, is a better friend than me, than you. Until we get to that point, we will be fake surgeons trying to perform surgeries. That will go really wrong. You could fly by for a few years, I think last, a few years back, we saw all these quirk doctors getting arrested, but they had been practicing for such a long time. How did that even happen? Anyway, that's, that happens in Kenya um, and a few other countries. I think it happened in Uganda too. Now I'm getting uncomfortable because it's just East Africa. 
maybe I should watch more news, we'll find out it happens elsewhere. But uh, the point being, unless we accept that God is better at life than us, we will never realize just how much of wisdom we do not have. But when we get to that point, James is saying, hey, if you need wisdom, God is generous enough to give it to you. You know, from our eyes, the earth looks flat, but you know, you just kind of know it's not. Well, well you don't kind of know. If, if all, you, all you had to go with were your eyes, you wouldn't know the earth isn't flat. Unless, of course, you are a flat earther, I am sorry, I may have offended you. You know, uh, with our eyes, we, we, there, there was a time doctors performed surgeries without washing their hands, without washing their utensils. Surgery after surgery, and people kept dying. So some guy, one of the doctors said, you know what's happening here? I think we need to wash our hands in the utensils. And everybody went, oh, come on, that's dumb. That's dumb. But today, you cannot go into any mall in Kenya without washing your hands or at least sanitizing it with, with a, a sanitizer, right? Because, because what we see isn't, isn't always all that is there. If we're ready to accept that, how much deeper does it go? To go, okay, maybe all the wisdom I have isn't all that there is there. And, and in that place of humility, ask the Father to give wisdom because He's generous with it. It's reminiscent of, 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 um, of, of words that were spoken, written down by, by very ancient kings of Israel. Uh, uh, David, both David and Solomon say this in one way or the other, that true wisdom begins when we fear the Lord. True wisdom for how you're living your life begins when you actually fear the Lord, when you actually realize that God is better at life than you and come to a place of surrender and say, Father, give me wisdom. So final portion for this morning, uh, it's 9 to 11. The believer who is poor still has reasons to boast, for he has been placed on high. But those who are rich should boast in how God has brought them low and humbled them. For all their earthly glory will one day fade like a wildflower in the meadow. For as the scorching heat of the sun causes the petals of the wildflower to fall off and lose its appearance of beauty, so the rich in the midst of their pursuit of wealth uh, uh, will either way. I don't know if you've heard um, of this statement that religion is the opium uh, of the poor. Right? It's like ah, only, only poor people want to, want to pursue faith. And um, I think sometimes, again, uh, back to the same old story. The things of God will often look foolish to those who are perishing. Question to believers. So this is a letter to the church. We couldn't, we couldn't do much about what the world thinks. 
The Spirit of God is still convicting the world of sin and righteousness. But this is a letter to the church about, hey, for those who have actually accepted Jesus, for those who are following, here's, here's a few ways to, to, to look at wealth and poverty. Now, to be clear as I start off, there's nothing beautiful about object poverty. That's not what, what, what James is saying here. No wonder Jesus and the apostles were very clear about never forget the poor. Never forget the poor. Jesus, uh, Jesus, one of the things Jesus said is, I've come to bring good news to the poor. And I've often said that if our news is not good news to the poor, uh, it's not complete. It's not good news. Jesus came to bring good news to the poor. Never forget the poor. Then Paul, again, they went to Jerusalem. There was a big issue. And as they resolved it, the elders of the church blessed them. And they wrote them a letter and they said, don't forget the poor. It wasn't just a Jesus thing. The, the church found it so crucial as part of their following Jesus. So there's nothing, there's nothing beautiful about abject poverty. It is our responsibility to take care of the poor, especially because every human system will produce imbalances. Whether, whether you're thinking of socialism, it produces imbalances. And there's always people uh, crashing at the bottom. Whether you're so crazy about capitalism, it produces imbalances and there's always people crashing at the bottom. Every human system, every human economic system will produce imbalances. And Jesus is, is, and the apostles are very clear to the church, you cannot forget the poor. We might not be able to change the economic system, but we cannot forget the poor. And James will revisit this again. Now, another interesting thing is that research shows that you can only improve someone's uh, uh, sense of joy and happiness by increasing their salary only up to a certain point, beyond which there is no marginal difference whether, how much they earn. That's why some of the wealthiest people on earth aren't any happier than, 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 than people living in very terrible places of our country. Because, because that, that only increases your joy up to a certain point, and then you come face to face with, with the reality of our souls, that, that everything that withers away does not bring real joy. Now, wealth in itself isn't bad. The problem is when our entire being is bent towards finding wealth, looking for the soft life, as they call it here in Kenya. If all we are about is searching for wealth, there's a problem with our formation because we're looking for things that will flee away. James is, is, is making an, an upside-down invitation. Instead of saying, hey, by the way, Make yourself a little wealthy. He's saying, oh, by the way, if you're not wealthy, this, he's not using metaphors. He's talking about real wealth. If you're not wealthy, why don't you find joy in the fact that God has exalted you? How? 
How has God exalted you when, 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 when you can't pay bills? I think that's still difficult even in our day because everything around us is just a wheel for gaining wealth. But the thing is, greed has a way of suffocating our souls. The more you have, the more you, the more you care about. The more you have, the less time you have to, to do other things that matter. You need to take both three cars for service. You need to, to have them, uh, their engines running. You need to make sure, the more you have, the more care you have on earth. Listen, nothing wrong with having stuff. The problem is sometimes stuff begins to have us. And the poor don't have the, 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 the luxury to be had by stuff. Like, they would want to be had by, 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 by their new Prado, but they don't have any. So they probably, there's fewer cares. You'll be surprised that Jesus and James reserve their harshest words for the wealthy. And that can make us really uncomfortable. And greed is all around us, right? Oh. So every parliament we've had in Kenya has always started by increasing their salaries. And every Kenyan goes, ah, greedy ones. In fact, we're very happy when James, who's that, who's that guy, took pigs right outside the parliament. Like, ah, you pigs. We're like, yeah, that's greed. I think it's last week or two weeks ago, Facebook was down for six hours. Uh, uh, oh, I don't know if that's related, but the day before it went down, uh, there, was a, there was a whistleblower uh, who was working for Facebook that had gone to Congress and, and just talked about how, how terrible some of the greed that is driving Facebook is. They wanted to introduce Instagram for kids, despite the fact that their own research has shown that is Instagram, of all social media platforms, is one of the worst, especially for teenage girls. And the suggestion was that they would change their algorithm, but if they change their algorithm, they would earn much less, they would earn less than they're earning, and because of that reason, they refused to. It's not that they wouldn't earn anything at all, they would earn just less. How, much, how many more billions do they really need, right? At the expense, greed suffocates our souls, at the expense of the mental health of teenage girls and teenagers in general, and really just human beings. But then it's easy to go, Aish, those, ah, that Zuckerberg guy, that Zuckerberg is, is, is full of greed. But, but we don't see our own, right? Do you really need the newest iPhone just because you can afford it? How many shirts do you really need just because you can afford them? It's the same thing. You see, we have to recognize, especially here at Trinity, most of us are wealthier than a lot of people here in this country. So it's easy to go that the MPs are greedy and forget that you're wealthier than some people and sometimes we feed our own greed just by the way we live. Only difference is that yours is buying five chapatis when you only need two. Chapatis are a problem anyway. 
um, you know, think about other ways it's expressed it themselves. I remember, you know, went home and um, I was asking this family where are pieces of land, you know, just kind of thinking of, oh, one day I'm going to retire. I'm already thinking that I'll retire very young, you know, because you can only do, anyway, I'm getting lost. <laughs> okay, so, uh, yeah, you can only be national director for too long, right? What was I about to say? Oh, yeah, yeah. So then, 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 then all these people are selling very big pieces of land very cheaply because they're desperate for money. And, and I noticed that my heart was about to jump at that opportunity. Why? Because I thought I could afford it. Even if I had to take financing, that's not, the, that's not the question. I felt I could afford it. Why not take advantage of their not knowing? Why not take advantage of their... Of their of their desperation. Actually, that's a common example in the Bible, and God was very mad at the wealthy in Israel because they kept accumulating land from the poor because they were disadvantaged, because they were desperate. Do we realize this how even wherever we are, we can be feeding our greed and, and thinking, oh, we are, we are out of it? So, so James is careful to say, hey, if you're wealthy, the only thing to boast in is your humility. If there is any. So I don't want to call the band back on stage. I'm just going to bless and release us. That's the kind of pastoral letter you want, right? <laughs> Leaves you going home feeling, yes! But sometimes we don't like making ourselves uncomfortable. But it seems Jesus, uh, James, just like his brother Jesus, didn't often mince their words. It wasn't, it wasn't empty of encouragement, but they didn't beat about the bush about what God is saying. So, as the worship goes on, you are free to leave if, 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 if it's time. But you're free to sit in worship and just allow God to do what He is doing. And then uh, my team and I will be at the back. The prayer team will be at the back. If you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. So just some questions to ponder on even as you leave for the week. If you're in a difficult place in your life, a place of trial, a place of temptation, a place of pain, a place of difficulty, how can you find joy? Knowing that God is turning around every part, every part of this for your formation. And if you don't know how you can find joy, how can you start with gratitude? Second question. Where do you need God's wisdom in life? For some of you, you're recognizing it because you feel stuck. For some of you, you're recognizing it because you can tell that you've, you've given into your pride and feeling that you know how to do this. Where do you need God's wisdom in life? Would you ask for His wisdom? Lastly, has your heart been turned towards wealth? Whether you have it or not, has your heart been turned towards wealth? 
And how is God inviting you back to the simple, to the true?